In today's episode, I connect with Greta, who openly shares some intimate, vulnerable experiences. Warning, some of the content can be uncomfortable for some, and it may activate some triggers. You, the listener, please be responsible with checking in with your emotional well-being. Warning to listeners, there's going to be a lot of foul language. So if you're listening around little people, put on headphones. Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast, Greta. I'm thankful that you're here with me. I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you for having me. I'm nervous. Why? I hold a space of non-judgment. So sometimes things that are revealed to me, it still can like recognizing it's still a fragile space that you're going into with people. I hold it with high reverence. So it, it makes me a little nervous at times. I, 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 wow. That's, that's a really precious sacred space to be in with you. And I'm so grateful for that. And I offer that back to you. And I want to just reassure you that I'm in full acceptance of everything I'm offering Let's just see what comes up. My experience has been one of keeping quiet for too long. I think that is what my offering is. I, you know, I feel it in my body right now as I'm listening to you and experiencing it. And as I feel it in my body, I realize that uh, it's like still something that I have to practice releasing or I still like I'm still there's still a part of me that's holding on to the feeling or the experience of needing to be protective in some way and which leads me to believe I need to go straight towards it even more and tell it you know like that's where the power is in the pain is in the places where we feel we need to protect or the places where we feel we need to keep quiet or the places where we have secrets. That's where the magic is. You know, that's where plant medicine has really come into my life where and has really been unique, a unique healer for me where nothing else could or hadn't before. How is your heart doing? My heart is so full and bursting. My heart wants to jump, sing, dance, experience life in all of its everything. My heart wants to sing. My heart wants to be seen. My heart wants to tell its story of truth, all the truth. How's your heart? My heart's actually really good. Um, it's really energized, serving myself first, which when I say myself, it's God, Allah, higher power, whatever name you call the energy source within yourself, and that it's telling me what I need to do. What are my yeah. marching orders? And then who do I need to speak to or whatnot? Yet also recognizing, you know, you matter. This vessel matters and, and serve it in the right way. And life is to be enjoyed. So thank you for asking me. It, it feels amazing right now, my heart. What can you thank COVID for? Oh, girl. <laughs> Jeez. Man, what can't I thank COVID for? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh because it really is not. Let it laugh. No, funny. it's okay. It, it is. is. It is. 
actually here, I'm going to tell you what I'm grateful to COVID for. COVID taught me to stop fucking apologizing, okay, for the shit I'm not sorry for. COVID taught me to stop apologizing for things that I'm not sorry for. COVID taught me that the voice that which I have been using to speak through or with for the last 48 and almost a half years has not been my own. I'm thankful to COVID for allowing me to find my authentic voice. I am thankful to COVID for allowing me to stop saying sorry for the things that I am not sorry for. To find our own voice, it's a huge one. And and it's uh, an overwhelming one because it's a lot of power that you step into that can feel very intimidating. Do I have the right to be here? Can I own it? And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I okay to say this? And and it's like, yeah, you are. You are allowed to say whatever and feel the way that you need to instead of putting these filters and these conditionings of how to make other people at ease. I've done that my whole life, Nat. It's a very oppressive space to be in. It is. And, you know, when you don't know anything different, when that has been, your palette, the the canvas on which you have painted your entire life, and you don't have contrast by which to compare, you don't know any different. Whether you can see oppression, you can appreciate oppression from a lens outside of yourself, but oppression from your own family, oppression from your own sisterhood, oppression from like... No, that can't possibly be. Even oppression from yourself. The worst. It is such a nightmare to wake up to. And that's why I think a lot of people get intimidated by the work because you have to stand in the accountability to see what you have been allowing and treating yourself. Well, absolutely. That's the only oppression, really, when it comes down to it. I have a lot of privilege. I was born with a lot of privilege. I've had privilege my entire life. So I don't want to give the impression that it hasn't always been that way for me because it has, but it hasn't always come from truth. I haven't always started from a place of complete authenticity and complete like here I am world with all my faults, all my baggage, all my shit and trauma, you know, because I was scared. Like, If you see me for who I really am, am I still going to be okay to choose my own adventure? Uh, So just within the last week, as I continue to like peel all the layers back and really fully focus on who am I going to be? Who is the highest essence of me? Every day I'm like, okay. And I've had some great teachers and I've had access to some great tools. And I've done a lot of work in this realm. I've never embodied it. I've never gone to the dark. You know, everybody, it's funny, Nat, I don't know if this is your experience, but I've spent some time in some spiritual communities and circles and, and it's been a lovely, lovely experience. And I have always felt full of love and light and everybody wishes love and light, love and light, love and light. No, 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 no. We got it all wrong. No, no love and light. No love and light. 
dark, go towards the dark, keep going towards the dark, go dark, go dark, more dark, dark. The dark is where we all need to go to find the light. I am still in in the process. I mean, aren't we all? But I do know some really big things now, Nat. Some really big things that are, I mean, that they were, I should say they were painful. They are now in a place of full acceptance within me, full acceptance, compassion, love. And I'm not afraid to, to be in this place of like speaking it. Cause I feel like when you, when you have nothing else left that the world can bump into I think I got this from the untethered soul. When you're when your space in which you occupy your universe, which we really are all universe inside, when your spaciousness is so vast because you're at total truth with yourself, there's nothing left to bump into you that could cause you to have a reaction or to cause you to. Like, it's just like you can be naked in front of the entire world and not care. It's really the most ultimate freedom. And let me tell you something. I have faked that shit for so long that to be able to actually feel it, it's orgasmic. When the armament can come off. And that's where the true meaning of self-acceptance, acceptance of standing in your truth. Yeah. It almost feels weird to be here and talk about it because you don't have to explain it, justify it, excuse it. Like, it's like almost weird to talk about it. Something that you just, you shared with me the other day that you just came into awareness about. You said that, you know, you recognize that there was trauma in your life, yet you could not find the words for it. You didn't understand what it was. Would you mind sharing what you have discovered and realized and what wording you have for that? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting how when you become, um, when you come into alignment with your truth and you're not afraid to go towards the dark and you go inward because there's no answers out here. You know, you can't fix anything out here when you're all out of alignment inside because you, so you got to go in. And you, in order to go in, you have to go in and then you have to open. And when I say open, you have to open your heart and be willing to examine what it is that's causing pain or causing blips of not being able to access memories. I've always had a difficult time accessing significant chunks of time in my life. Like I have some memory, but not like other people in my life do. And and then I have really great memories of my family, of, of my family, my nuclear family and my extended family. I have, like I said, I had a privileged life. I have, my parents are still married. They've been married 54 years. I never identified with early childhood trauma. Like I, I just, it never, I never identified with it. So, yeah, so I think as I started to get more in alignment with myself and I started to get in truth with myself, the universe started to show me signs. I started to unlock truths 
it started to become less scary for me to unlock my, my psyche is really what it is. It's the psyche builds these, you know, armor to protect itself. I was flipping through. This is exactly how it happened. When I was ready to, to know the truth, it's as simple as this. You see that you, you hear it. It comes to you. It literally, the answer comes to you when you're ready. And I was flipping through TikTok as I do frequently because I, it's my new favorite platform. I was flipping through and this woman, I don't know what caught my eye because there was nothing avant-garde about her. There was nothing. It just, I was meant to see her video. And she said, I, I don't know who needs to hear this, but I experienced a type of chat early ch- or childhood trauma that is not frequently spoken about. And it's a, it's a form of sexual child, childhood sexual exploration that typically happens with children uh, and other children of like ages, typically within families, sometimes siblings, cousins, neighbors. And when I saw this and I heard this, I was like, oh my God, that's me. I said, that's me. That's what happened. That's the language I need. And it was like a cork came out. A weight had been lifted. I felt no anger. I felt no more shame. I felt no more anything. I felt healed literally in an instant. And when I felt the healing, I also got the memories back and I was able to, it, it was, I mean, it's just crazy. I don't know that this is everybody's process or experience. I just want to share that this is my experience that once I had some sort of resonance that I was not the only one, I was healed. And Everything from that moment on, things started to make sense very rapidly for me. And there was a very dramatic energy shift in my body that happened so much so that I think, you know, people in my family felt it from far away and it scares them too. Because, you know, when one person heals, others start to heal too. And not everybody's ready for that. And so what I do know is that because of the abuse and the trauma that happened to me, I was silenced from very young. You know, around what age, do you think? I'm going to say five to about eight. So maybe it could have started around four, but I Mm -hmm. think five. I know that my brother and I both are addicts. There's a reason that we're both addicts. We have cousins, one in particular that also became an addict, had a very, we've all have thriving careers as well. Our one older cousin was a brilliant artist, thriving career, mysteriously disappeared off the big island in Hawaii and is, we think he's dead. I suspect because of the way things happen that this was something that was done to my brother and then it was done to me. And then there was neighbors that were involved, you know, it was, and then what happened was because there was so much shame about it. 
I was told you can never tell anybody about this. And my whole life, like I just was like silenced. And so when I had this energy shift and this all clicked in the very first call and my brother and I do not talk very frequently, we've not had a close relationship. That same day, I got a phone call from my brother. Weird. And then that phone call from my brother was the message of, you know, seems like you're doing some healing. You know, not everything needs to be told. All details don't need to be told. If you're an addict, go to NA, do your venting there, tell your details there. Too many people will be hurt. And he almost got in. He almost got in. He he did for a moment have me thinking, hmm, do I need to tell? Do I need to speak? Do I need to tell the truth? Will it hurt too many people? He almost got me to question my truth again. And then I remembered who I was. And so here I am. And I'm not trying to like, I, there's no blame. This is a situation where there is nobody to blame and everyone is accountable. No one to blame and everyone is accountable. And I'm at truth and I'm accountable and I'm here to talk about it. When you say people told you to silence, is that adults? Is that your parents? Are those the other people that were partaking in the situation? Yeah, I don't remember my parents ever telling me to be silent. I I don't. I don't remember. I don't have memories of them knowing. I do remember being silenced by the older participants. The older meaning the neighborhood boys, my brother, my cousins. I don't remember my, being silenced by my parents. You ever remember telling your parents about it? No. No. Do they know? Have you ever spoken to them about it? No. Mm-mm. I don't know if my brother has. I I don't. I've never spoken to my brother about it. And so you know, there's a lot of secrecy that still remains in my family, and it's always been something that I felt. Always felt it. It's always bothered me. But when I do talk to my brother about his recovery journey, his addiction starts the minute he put the first time he put a needle in his arm. But I know that's not how addiction starts. I mean, maybe for some people, but I don't, my, my experience is that's not how addiction starts. Let me actually ask you, what is your definition of addiction? My definition of addiction is a set of, this is new to me, Nat, to ask me what my definition of addiction is. I think it's like a really, it's a chosen, it sounds very insensitive, but I'm just looking at it through the lens of my own addictions. It's, it's, it's a chosen escape of truth. It's like, I can't handle whatever is now. So I'm going to escape. And then what it, depending on what it is that you're choosing to escape the now might get you hooked physically. So like heroin is very physically addicting. And so then your body is addicted. And that that's one layer of addiction, you know, choosing an addiction such as saving other people, enabling or codependency is a different layer of addiction. It doesn't have necessarily the same physical addictive qualities that heroin does. The habitual dependency is a, another layer. So I, I I think all addiction stems from the same 
source and it's the source of a hole that we're trying to fill. So yeah, when my brother tells me that his addiction started with the needle in his arm, I like, okay, go towards the dark, bro, go towards the dark, keep going, you're not there yet. You know, like, I don't buy it. But again, like, I want to hold the highest vision of everyone in my life. Because when I do, that's what I'm bringing into my life, because that's where I am. I can't wobble from that anymore. So I'm really, really in my daily practice of just living an ordinary life. I'm not here to drag anybody through the mud or talk about anybody's wrongdoings because their wrongdoings are my wrongdoings and my, you know, I, I just love peace and love people. Like seriously, like I might need to move out to a farm and become a hippie. <laughs> That's how I'm feeling <laughs> that. Mental health is a responsibility within. And when you become overwhelmed, the strongest, courageous thing you can do is ask for help. You do not have to do it alone. You mentioned addiction. So would you say that the trauma that you suppress, that you've just now been able to unlock those memories, would you say that that's where the beginning of the addiction for you started? Definitely. Can you explain or share some of what you experienced as addiction? Yeah, I mean, I've experienced it all. God, if I really think about it. Oh, man. Oh, be cautious. So all is a big, big word when we say that. True. Yeah, just because there might be some things that you're saying you didn't, you really didn't do. Yeah, I didn't. Okay, I take it back. I didn't experience it all, but I could have. No, I, oh, boy, I started. Okay, so I think my Addiction started with food, probably hiding food, comforting myself with food. Maybe before that. Well, actually, okay. So I think I started with just being silent, silencing any worry or concern. And I have a really vivid memory. I may have told this story before of being in a the back of a friend's station wagon and going to like a birthday party. And, you know, I was sitting with my legs crossed and my foot fell asleep and my mom was in the car too. Cause it was like one of those things where your mom and the mo- friend's moms together and we went to like the movies or something. And my foot fell asleep. It was the first time I remember experiencing that sensation of my foot falling asleep. And I didn't know what was going on, but I didn't speak up. Like, I didn't speak up and say, like, why can't I feel my toes? Like, I was terrified inside. I thought, like, my foot got chopped off. I kept looking down and wiggling my toes. Like, okay, I know my toes are there, but I cannot feel them. I didn't ask any of my friends. I never said anything to my mom. I was so afraid. And I remember thinking, okay, I got this. Like, the worst thing that can happen is I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fall over Like I just went inside. I figured it all out. I had the whole plan made on my own. And that's, I think I was probably six or seven and I just had it all designed like my way out, like the whole thing. I had all these helpers around me, friends, peers, my own age, two mom helpers in the front and nope, mm, 
don't trust anybody. I'm in control. I got this. And so that was probably when it started of like the control, silence. I got this. And then it went into the eating. Then I remember uh, in ninth grade, I had a soccer injury and had to have knee surgery. That's when I had my first taste of opiates. And then from there on, it was like anytime I could get my hands on them, which wasn't often, but anytime I could, I did. Shopping started really in college, the first time I got my first credit card. And then I had a dad that was like disconnected from his emotions, you know, so he just paid the bills off, just paid them off, enabled, you know. What helped you deal with the addiction? You know, I, I, oh gosh, I think nothing helped me deal with the addiction other than the fear of getting caught. I was so terrified of, I had so much shame about who I was and what I was doing and getting found out and, and being discovered like for, for really who I was that I would, if it got far enough, like if the addiction started to spiral too far, I would quit cold Turkey. Just like I was saying, like, I think it's just a pattern of repetitive behaviors. I think it's like a called pass through addiction, maybe, or something to that effect. I would just change it up for Mm -hmm. another. So stop, start so that it would throw people off. So if people got suspicious or, and the funny thing is, is I don't think anybody really was ever suspicious, but I knew and, and so that was enough is when you are not authentic and when you're an addict, you're paranoid. What if anybody ever finds out the truth about me? And so I, yeah, I would go back and forth often. The only thing I never went, well, let me see. I never went back and forth with opiates. I had a short stint, a short stint of a few years I'm not saying that tongue in cheek, but I am. Um, that was, I did, a, a, I had a couple year addiction to opiates that was a doozy and nobody ever knew. Nobody, at least as far as nobody's ever said anything to me that they knew. I, I was very stealthy about it because um, I had so much shame about it because it was at the same time, again, at the same time as my brother was doing his opiate heroin thing. How dare I take any light from him, you know? And I have always been terrified of opiates. I've always lusted after them. And if I had a doctor that would prescribe them to me after a surgical procedure, I always loved them, but I would never, ever, ever, ever choose that to fill a hole again. That was a horrific kind of physical pain to go through. How was the detox going through that? So Mm. other people that may be still in it can understand, you know, what it, what it is to kind of go through that birthing canal of a detox and know that there's light on the other side. Yet it's a long, long meaning like a moment can feel like 10 years And, and the challenges that you had to navigate through yet you're able to tell the story on another side. Wow. It is, gosh, it's so painful. 
It's so painful. It's really excruciating and it's totally doable and it's so worth it. Uh, it's very frightening. I don't know. It's scary. And I don't, I don't know that what I did was safe. You know, I honestly, I don't know what the ramifications are in, in terms of physical health. Like I honestly, I was so, because what I did was, it was so rogue. It was so like, I couldn't trust anybody or I thought I couldn't trust anybody to tell the truth, to seek help, to, I had, I felt like I had to go it alone. There was just not another way to do it. So I was like, all right, well, if, if I'm going to die doing this, like I'm going to die, but I'm going to do this. So I literally, I researched everything, spent a great deal of time figuring out the plan. There's supplements you can take. There's all kinds of natural remedies to sort of tamper the withdrawals, the physical withdrawals as you go through it. So I took full advantage of all of that. And I prepared ahead of time. I also went through the experience with my two small young children at home with me, which I, I don't know if I recommend or not recommend. It just was, I I can share a couple other things that I had with me while I went through it that were lifesavers, good pair of walking shoes. Mm-hmm. a bathtub, a lot of water, and whatever your favorite music of choice is, mine was Pink and her album Funhouse. The music to me is spiritual music, that playlist in particular, because there is there's a lot of energy moving stuck in your body while you're getting rid of those toxins. And anyway, get to find a big hill, put on your walking shoes, put on your AirPods, and go sweat. And then know that there are those of us that have been through the experience and are putting out love for you. I know that by talking about this, sharing my truth, I feel energetically connected to others that are going through the experience at this moment. I just know. I appreciate that. I appreciate that honesty. And like you said, it was your experience. So it doesn't mean that. Everybody having to go through detox, if you can, you know, seek professional help and medical to help you yeah. because there are physiological, there is a big strain on your heart, your nervous system, sure. even your brain. Um, therefore it, you know, if you can seek medical help, that is the best way to assist you to navigate through. Yeah. That. And maps, there's a, there's medically assisted psychedelic. therapies out there. This is a reminder that nowhere in the podcast is medical advice being given. It is personal experiences that are being shared. Inform yourself of the information needed for your personal life. Can you share your experience with plant-based medicine? Yes. My experience with plant-based medicine started in college when I started smoking marijuana, but that wasn't really, I didn't call it plant-based medicine back then. That was a different experience. What we're really talking about is psychedelics. A couple of years ago, my husband and I went to an ayahuasca ceremony. It was here local in California. It was a woman from the country of Colombia. She brought, she came and brought a shaman and his wife, Abuelita, and we did two nights of ayahuasca ceremonies. I really wasn't 
I mean, I knew I wanted to go and do it and experience it and see what the medicine had to show me. Um, and I went and we said clear intentions. And my husband had this amazing healing experience where he was able to heal a lot of his traumas. And I went and had a really opening experience where I got to see myself as a little girl laughing. And but I didn't, it didn't really, I, I didn't really have a big aha healing moment. But I did, I did, it did start my journey. It did allow me to um, become, have the medicine in me. And they say, once you have the, the medicine in you, the ayahuasca medicine, she, she's always with you. And so I remember that. And so magic mushroom psilocybin is like the sister, the cousin to ayahuasca. And, you know, it's kind of fun, <laughs> but it's, it's an act of self-love and self-care to go on a journey every now and then. And um, the psilocybin from magic mushrooms talks or taps into the ayahuasca. This, I, this could be a big story. I don't know, but I like to believe this. It works for me. Okay. And so again, my husband and I have had several medicinal plant medicine journeys on magic mushrooms. They're usually light and fun and giggly. And we experience these like loving, like connecting energetic journeys, except the one time recently, this was very recently, we had a journey where we forgot that it's not to be experienced as like a party drug. It's not a rave. You don't go for a disco and that. And we forgot to set an intention. And so the ayahuasca was like, I'm going to remind you guys, you're not 17. This is not a party drug. You have forgotten. So let me remind you. And she poof, spanked us on our butts and reminded us. And she painted the reminders on our walls. <laughs> for us to be easily reminded for somebody like me that was so closed, closed, meaning closed in the heart that had built like just walls upon walls with moats and just brocades. I mean, I just was so closed having a medicine plant medicine to help me connect with something bigger an energy that you can actually experience was so helpful. It's so helpful. It continues to be so helpful because I'm, I'm in the head kind of a person. I'm not in the heart kind of a person, you know, and I'm not, I don't want to say like, do this or don't do that. I used to be, you should, you should, you should, you should. I, nope, not anymore. Not that girl. My experience has been that with here's, I'm going to tell the truth. I don't trust people that haven't done psychedelics, to be honest. My husband and I both say this. Like, if you haven't seen, if you haven't felt, if you haven't, <laughs> I just, you, especially people who claim to be woke. Like, if you think, if you're, if you claim your space and say that you are of oneness consciousness, but you are afraid, or you are judgmental, or you're not open to plant medicine, I'm calling bullshit on you. Simple as that. So I won't say I don't trust people that haven't done. I just 
say that I am calling bullshit. Perhaps you're a little bit skeptic of them. Perhaps. There may be some things that they aren't aware of because they are stopping themselves from fully experiencing other dimensions. You just can't, once you know things, you can't unknow them, Nat. That my answer, once you see, you can't unsee. Yeah, exactly. And there's a point of, I was like, it happened, I think I I shared with you last week when I was like, I was on my Peloton and I was like, oh my God, I think I have to break up with my Peloton. You can't unknow what you know. And then I made peace. I had that's when you can choose to come into acceptance, yeah, or you can go on, choose to ignore, I guess. Yeah. But you can't ever unknow what you know. Imagine that you're 18 years old and you have three words to tell yourself, only three words. What would they be? Mm. Love yourself first. We're not taught that much at when we're young. Love everybody else. Yeah. What are your triggers or do you know your triggers? Do you have any more triggers? Hmm. That's a great question. I've been really watching lately to see, see where my, how vast my space has gotten. My triggers are within me, by the way. They're not anybody on the outside. Yep. My trigger, my last trigger moment, I'm triggered by myself when I don't speak up about money, when it has to do with when I feel like I am being uh, like taken advantage of, but I allow it to happen for some reason. That's a hard one for me to say, no, you're not like, no is a complete sentence. We all know this. And for some reason, that word is very difficult to come out of my mouth to certain people. So I'm practicing that a lot lately. I do it in the mirror. I do it when I brush my teeth. When I'm in the car, I'm just like, nope, nope, nope. Like I practice. It's kind of fun. I still haven't mastered the correct timing. You know, like, I don't know. I'm still working on that one. Oh, let me see. Yeah, I mean, all triggers point back to the things that are within my control, the boundaries that are difficult for me to set. Your triggers get activated when you see reflections with your children. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I, I got, I, yeah, girl, yeah, 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 yeah. We, we might have to have like a weekend long podcast for this show. Is there anything that you would want to bring forth to the listeners? You know, it's such a personal journey. I think everybody has a different experience. And I just, I really want to just encourage everybody, wherever you are on your own path, just to continue being curious about your inner terrain. Don't compare wherever you are, whatever your experiences are to anybody else's. Cause I, I did a lot of that and I always found myself discouraged. Then I would stop like, well, I'm not, go- I'm not, I'm not, that's not my experience. I, there must be something wrong with me. So I'll just fake it some more, you know, like I get it intellectually, 
but I'm not getting it in my body. I'm not getting it in my heart. So I can just use my words and my intellect to make everybody believe that I'm getting it. And that's just really robbing yourself of a beautiful, beautiful healing journey. You don't have to fake it for anybody. Take as long as you need, whatever it is, whatever your experience is, it's yours and yours alone. You don't ever have to share it with anybody or you can share it with everyone. You know, like it's such a sacred, personal, private thing. A couple things that helped me to remember when I was slipping out of like an open-hearted, authentic space. Very easy to remember. If you are having, or if you find yourself explaining yourself, defending yourself, justifying yourself, is there anything else? Explaining, defending, justifying, or seeking validation from anybody but yourself. You may want to check in with yourself and ask, am I fully acting in love of myself? Because if you're doing those four things, you likely are not. That kept me grounded, centered, focused inward rather than outward more than any other tool. Because I was, I'm righteous, you know, like I got to prove myself. I got to make sure that I'm, do you see me? And I'm going to make you fucking see me. And nope, release all that. And I knew once I was explaining or having to show proof or like leaving notes or like, making phone calls to prove somebody wrong. Nope. Releasing that biggest freedom ever. So hopefully that could help somebody on their journey. And if there's somebody listening that is like really stuck or in addiction and is can't find their way forward. My Instagram is Greta.Harmon. Not hard to find me. I'm on TikTok. Uh, you can email me, greta.harmon73 at gmail.com. Thank you for being on the podcast and being so open and vulnerable and trusting me with your story and allowing others to have a peek into the inner work that you do. I really appreciate you. And I'm very grateful for you, Greta. I love you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making it all the way to the end. And as I mentioned at the beginning, this conversation may have brought up triggers, discomfort. Know that there's help out there. And the strongest thing you can do for yourself is to ask for it. You don't have to do anything alone. I appreciate you being here and sharing the space of conversation so that we can erase the stigmas surrounding mental health. Please subscribe to our podcast and where possible, leave a review. Until next time. Remember, be kind and gentle towards yourself. You matter.